Section 57 of the Turquoise Story Book Stories and Legends of Summer and Nature This is a LibriVox recording All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain For more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org Read by Chinmay Kumar Hota The Turquoise Story Book Stories and Legends of Summer and Nature by Ada M Skinner and Eleanor L Skinner section 57 On the 13th of July a red-matched woodpecker knocked on the stricken bough of a lofty elm to crave of the dryad within hospitality for a season Yes her wish would be granted but only on condition that she would dig out a shelter for herself there in the hard dry wood what had gone wrong in the woodpecker family that she was in need of shelter this late in the year earlier in the summer she and her mate had burrowed out a comfortable home in a great oak tree not 200 yards away then they were on the best of terms and had relieved each other at the task of digging out their dwelling place 20 or 25 minutes at a time was thought long enough for either of them to devote to so laborious a task in the spring time then the other spent an equal time at the work while one off duty hurried away to partake of refreshments or to seek rest in change of occupation then there seemed to be some joy in their lives for when they had occasionally found time for recreation they had chased each other around the tree trunks and given utterance to their enjoyment of the game in many a peal of cackling laughter near the base of a tree the game began and spirally round and round it struck they pursued each other the one in the lead every now and then casting a challenging look behind then hurrying upward faster than before their play times were brief however for the unfinished burrow was calling when this was completed and later a half dozen or more eggs were laid though madam spent most of her time in dispensing warmth to them her mate also did his share together they had devoted their energies to providing for the little ones that pecked their way out of the round white eggs many long journeys were they compelled to take and many were the hours spent in search of suitable food for their hungry offspring but on their return their throats were always full to the brim with the nourishment which they pumped into the infant throats age hanging head downward over them they clung with their claws to the entrance of their home and when after a time the chicks were old enough to scramble about on the trunk of the tree outside their home a whizzy call from one of them was enough to bring one or both of the parents with throat distended with the best the wood afforded to minister to their wants together they had driven away the over solicitous 
squirrels and meddlesome sparrows who came to visit them. Together, they had guided their asthmatic young family about the wood, teaching them by example, if not by precept, where food was to be found and how to meet the dangers they were likely to encounter at any moment. The accidents of nature had depleted the brood, till now but two of them were left. A ball of baby feathers in the home of an owl living in the wood told the story of the passing of one of them. The gladness which attended the homecoming of a foraging mother squirrel marked the taking off of another. So they had gone, till only these two remained wheezy and exacting. Of late, the care of them had fallen mainly on the father, who picked up a living for them as best he could. At times he seemed to try to get away from them, a futile effort. For when they did not follow his undulating flight in their awkward up-and-down fashion, they went in search of him if he was gone a few minutes over time. Here on the 13th of July was the mother seeking shelter away from her former home. Had there been a family disagreement? Was the home nest no longer large enough for the parent birds and their now almost grown-up family? Was she planning for a new brood? Surely not. It would be impossible to rear in a single season two broods requiring so much care. Whatever her purpose, there she was, drawing her plans on the underside of the dry old bough. Soon she began to peck out an entrance and it was not long before the chips were flying in every direction. More than an hour she worked, then flew to the dead top of a tree across the way where she sat for a brief time, resting and sunning herself. Twice she left her perch to dart out after passing insects, then returned to her labor. Occasionally, she swung around to the top side of the dead branch and tore off bits of bark either for the purpose of seeing if the hole was going clear through or for securing the insect fare lurking under it. This part of the work continued at intervals till the bark was removed from all the excavated portion of the bough. All day, until about five o'clock, she spent at her task with but little rest. Then there was a long visit to the rest perch in the neighboring treetop. The early morning hours were probably devoted to commissary tours, for it was almost eight o'clock when she appeared on the scene of her labors and again began to wield the pick. About ten o'clock her spouse appeared and arranged himself comfortably on the same limb about a foot away from the hole she was digging, but not by so much as a single stroke did he assist her. Soon a wheezy, whistling cry called him to duties, as insistent as home-building, and he departed. After watching the progress of woodpecker affairs for some time, a dweller in the house under the tree decided to lend a hand. A warm-mitten hitching post stood near, on which was placed pieces of bread for the hungry little wielder of the pick. 
This not only satisfied her wants, but served also to bring her mate and offspring near occasionally. At first, the young members of the family refused to pick up this food set before them, but instead clung to a neighboring tree and called vociferously for help. Then the father took the bits of bread and pushed them far down into the screaming throats. The young Romulus must have possessed wonderful powers of endurance if the woodpeckers of old ministered to him as vigorously in response to his infantile wails as the woodpeckers of today respond to the screaming demands of their own offspring. How gentle the wolf must have seemed in comparison. Several times the young woodpeckers followed the father to the limb in which the mother was chiseling a home. Together they watched her work, but during the first three days seemed to take no interest whatever in the holes he was making. Then the father went in and examined the opening, but flew away without giving any real aid. And all through the work, his assistant seems to be limited to inspection. In her digging, the mother woodpecker clung with her claws to the opening of the burrow and head downward pecked rapidly. Sometimes she would throw out chips, which were little more than coarse sawdust. After three or four blows, again she walked for a minute or two, then threw out several billfuls at a time. In throwing out the chips, she slipped backward and forward over the lower edge of the opening after the manner of that old-fashioned toy called supplejack. First she threw her chips to one side, then to the other, till the ground beneath the burrow, for a space thirty feet in circumference, was generously sprinkled with them. Though several persons were watching her, and though squirrels were springing about among the branches, she was not disturbed, but went steadily on with her task. While she was away on short vacations, the rain, dwelling in porch roof beneath, frequently investigated the hole she was digging. Sparrows examined it, and squirrels looked into it, but it was very noticeable that they all had an eye on her return. Once in her absence, one of her own young woodpeckers scrambled to the edge of the hole and peeped in for a moment, then scuttled back again to the place where the dead branch joined the trunk of the tree and, in his usual noisy manner, demanded food. It was near the end of the third day's labor that the woodpecker was first seen trying on her new home. Then she went into it and nestling there with the head up for the first time, looked out of the window. Evidently, the pocket was neither deep enough nor wide enough, for after this she walked on both bottom and sides of it, scattering chips as before. The work periods were shorter now and the rests more frequent, showing that her strength was failing. On the afternoon of the fifth day, when the burrow was finished, completely exhausted, she made her way to the roof of the house, where, with wings spread, she lay for more than an hour, seemingly too tired to reach 
her usual resting place in the treetop across the way, she lay there gathering strength for the longer flight. Though the sexes are alike in the red-head family, it was not difficult to distinguish them in this case, for the feathers about the head and neck of the mother were much more worn than those of her less industrious mate. Yet it may be an injustice to him to accuse him of indolence, for was he not purveying to the younglings a task which may have taxed his energies to the limit? Perhaps, after all, it was only a case of division of labor. After the completion of the borough, though the woodpecker was anxiously watched for for several days, she was not seen near it again. Though the usual bits of bread placed on the hitching post brought her to its neighborhood. The experiment was tried of putting some of the crusts on the top of the post and stuffing others tightly into the large warm holes. The letter was invariably taken first. Though the young birds came there regularly to be fed, more than a week passed before they made the slightest effort to help themselves. They would cling to the sides of the post and, with upward pointing, open bills whistle automatically for the food which the parents were compelled to place in their throats. Whether it was willfulness or inability that caused them to act as they did, it was impossible to determine. The whistling of the young birds which was once believed to predict rain or to be a demand for it from a thirsty throat always precedes or accompanies the taking of food. It is, doubtless, a little more frequent before sours, for at such times the older birds are able to collect more beetles and other insects that come out then from the shelters into the open. The old belief that woodpeckers are ever athirst because of their inability to drink any save the rain that falls into their open throats or the drops that fall from the leaves may have some foundation. In the case of this family, though a basin of water was always conveniently near and though sparrows, robins, blue jays and rains constantly patronized it, no woodpecker was ever seen to refresh himself from it, many as there were of them in the vicinity. When more bread than the four birds could consume was placed in the post, the older ones carried a part of it away, usually the larger pieces on top for future use, or pounded it tightly into warm holes in the same post but never into the ones in which they found it. Several weeks after the burrow was finished, one evening just about sunset, a redhead was seen peeping from the window in the treetop. Then it was drawn back, and again it appeared and was withdrawn to be seen no more during the evening. It was a dormitory, then, that you hollered out for yourself. Was it, my lady? One morning, near the close of August, it was noticed that the entrance to the lodging was distinctly larger, 
and that a patch of daylight showed through from the other side. Whether for some reason the bird herself had enlarged the opening before departing for the south, or whether this had been done by mischievous squirrels on murder bent, is not known. But certain it is that the red-matched laborer was gone. Others of her kind lingered in the grove for a week or more, and though food was placed on the accustomed post, neither she nor any of her immediate family appeared to claim it. When he is gone, the most accomplished songsters are not missed more than the red-headed woodpecker, whose broad patches of clear color enliven the world. Though he may no longer assist in the growth of the forests by bringing refreshing sours as he is said to have done in the long time ago, he certainly is doing much in his own way to preserve them. Well might the ancients have made a god of him. He still possesses one of the gifts which won that honor for him, the power of producing thunder, and in a way that mortals can understand. Hear it rumbling among the dead treetops as the bird drums rapidly on the dry wood and sets it to vibrating, then quickly lays his hollow bill against it to add resonance to the peal. Bhalkan himself could not have felt greater satisfaction than he as he stops to listen in conscious pride over his accomplishment. Whether he is a god made manifest in feathers, or merely an old woman under a curse, expiating the crime of selfishness in picking up a living where there seems to be no life, and in sharing this can't fare with the hungry as we see this bird with breast flattened and shoulders bent by hard work while our sympathies are awakened. We bless the day that gave to the world this tireless little laborer of the woods. End of section 57